welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is Wednesday, January 6, 2021, and we are so grateful to be joined by uh, five precious teammates today. Uh, Carla Thrasher, who is our International Adoption Director, uh, Jana Lombardo, who is our uh, Senior Manager in Intercountry Adoption, uh, Lynn Beckett, who helps with parent coaching and education, Renee Griffin, who's one of our domestic specialists, and Tracy Marie Newell, who oversees and directs our Family Counts program, amongst other domestic education initiatives. And Today, what we want to do is just kick off this year to talk about Lifeline and how it has changed over the last 40 years. Many of you may not know, but 2021 will be the year that Lifeline celebrates 40 years of ministry. And so today, we want to go all the way back to 1981 until the present day and talk about the ways that Lifeline has changed, the way Lifeline has grown. And so what I hope that you are able to hear is perspective of these women and their first day all the way to the things that they've seen change during their tenure at Lifeline. But before we hear from them, I want to remind you about our other podcast, The Defender Bible Study. As you're starting this fresh new year and looking for ways to dig deeper in the Word of God, our team puts out a free weekly resource podcast for you led by a Lifeline staff member. We go through different books of the Bible or different books, or even right now we're studying our statement of faith. And so listen wherever you find podcasts and look for The Defender Bible Study. Well, again, I am so grateful to be joined by uh, these excellent teammates, as well as uh, these just godly women who have served Lifeline so faithfully over so many years. And, uh, you know, really, even on this podcast, we are the sixth most six most senior uh, tenured people at Lifeline. And so uh, as we have that great distinction, I thought we would start first with with Renee and then kind of go around the horn. And Renee, you started the longest ago. So will you tell us what Lifeline was like in general on your first day? My first day at Lifeline was a little unique in the fact that I was hired by Mr. John Carr, who was our director at that time, and it was Mr. Carr and myself. So at that time, Mr. Carr and I, I literally just learned by sitting at the feet of Mr. Carr. We would do home studies when we went to, to couples' homes. We would take notes by hand, which we do now, but still the notes in our in our case note file in our files, our case notes were our handwritten notes. Now, back then there was no cell phones. You know, this is back in the 80s. So in 1982, no cell phone, no computer. So we did type with the typewriter, our home studies, which were anywhere from three to six pages. But that was just kind of how we conduct, you know, conducted life. Yeah, so just so you don't miss it, Renee started in 1982. So Lifeline was one year old when Renee started. And uh, and certainly a lot of things have happened since then. So Lynn, tell us about Lifeline on your first day. Well, I think I came on board in 1989, and at that point, uh, there I was probably number seven in employees hired. So there were six others in the office at that point, and I was coming um, from a background of having worked in public welfare, where um, I had done uh, child abuse and neglect and foster care 
Um, and so when I came into a private agency, there was just an amazing amount of calm and peace. And um, it just seemed really fun and upbeat and positive because I was also entering into a Christian atmosphere coming from a secular atmosphere. And um, so I, it was very refreshing for me to come on board uh, with Lifeline and be part of the team. But like Renee said, the, the technology then and now is just worlds apart. I think by the time I came on board, we had hired a transcriber and I was using a dictaphone to yes. um, dictate my case notes. So I wasn't having to um, type my own home studies and um, no one can read my handwriting anyway. So that was probably a blessing. Okay, Jana, so you came in the 90s. Tell us about your first day. Yes, so I came to Lifeline in the summer of uh, 1992. I began at Lifeline as an intern and um, doing my internship work in that first day, I walked in the office and was ready to get started and Leanne grabbed me, took me by the hand, grabbed files and we went back to the office and she began having me read through, you know, the, the, the birth mother files and just get familiar with uh, what that looked like with home study files. Uh, but I remember, you know, welcoming faces of Margaret at the time and Mr. Carr and Chuck and uh, Lynn and Renee were both uh, part time then when I came on. And so I met them shortly thereafter and, um, just loved partnering with them in those early days as we worked with birth moms and families and foster moms and dads. And so, um, but yeah, I remember vividly the day I walked in and Leanne said, come on, let's go. And so uh, we got started right away with, with all the stuff. Okay, Carla. <clears throat> so 2001, you start and actually most people may not know this, but you actually start on September 11th. 2001. So you really, uh, you really started with a bang. I did. I did. <laughs> yeah. But initially, even backing up, um, the bang started when I opened the front door to come into Lifeline's office building and was immediately greeted by somebody I didn't know coming out of the bathroom, which was about two feet from the front door. So that's just always a very comfortable, well, hello, good morning. I've seen you've been in the bathroom. So, um, but yeah, September 11th, 2001 um, was my first day. So I really only spent about 15 minutes in the office before um, they sent everybody home. But again, just the family atmosphere that everybody's talking about this nice lady named Leanne, who I didn't know at the time, um, not only told me that I, I needed to go on home, pick up my children on the way home. But she also told me I needed to line my windows with black trash bags and be sure I had enough canned goods. So I felt very well taken care of, felt like I was safe and secure in this new environment and um, have not been disappointed since. Well, and then Tracy Marie, you were actually the very first person that I hired at Lifeline. And so you started in August of 2003. Tell us about kind of the environment on your first day. Look at us, Herbie, all these years later. 
still together. Yeah, I actually came in September, September 8th, 2003, and you had just started a few months earlier. And I was terrified of you and <laughs> went home and said to Mark, my husband, I don't know what I've done. Our executive director is this young accountant and we're a bunch of social workers. And what in the world have I gotten myself into? And that started um, a sweet journey together all these years, Herbie. The first week was crazy town. It was a state audit. And so uh, for those of you who don't know what that means, it means that everything was under review for, re for our recertification, our relicensure. So it can be a very stressful time. Um, so wonderful exposure, I suppose, my first week. Uh, and the rest has just been downhill, I guess. Mm. Well, <clears throat> certainly different perspectives and things that we've seen change and, and even when Tracy and I started in 2003, and if I remember, I think we had this rectified by the time she started, uh, but all the rest can remember, there was one computer that was connected to the internet. And so everyone had to go to this one computer to check their email. And as Tracy mentioned, I was coming in from an accounting firm where we all had our own computers with our access to the internet. And I was like, what in the world? Like, how, how are we going to function in 2003? And, and to think in 2003, the internet really was still not anywhere near as big. Email wasn't anywhere near as big as it is today. But if you could imagine, you had 10 employees that were coming to one computer to access email and to access uh, the World Wide Web as such. So let's go back around the horn and start back with you, Renee. What would you say are a couple of the things that you would say, hey, these are the three biggest things that I've seen change over my tenure? I know from the from the get-go, from the initial start, it was couples that applied to adopt a child were couples that came that were unable to have their own children biologically. Mm -hmm. So we're talking infertile couples is all that we took application from and really all that we got application from for the most part. So that's who came to us. That's not true today. Today we have couples. Some couples are unable to have children biologically, but we do have the majority of couples, at least that I'm that I was aware of, are couples that are coming because the Lord has just truly placed the burden on their heart to to adopt, you know, to add a child through adoption to their family. So that's a, a change that I see. Um, probably the biggest one that I see is way back. There was relatively, relatively little, and for the most part, no communication between biological family, birth mom, and adoptive couple. That is completely shifted at this point. While I think the just the whole philosophy of adoption in general has shifted from a stigma, we don't talk about adoption, to now adoption is out of the forefront, out of the open. So now we're, you know, we're in the past, Social workers were equipping birth moms, talking to birth moms, preparing them for this placement and preparing the couple for the placement. Now we are walking through and presenting Christ to this birth mom, the social workers. Now the social workers are equipping the couples to be able to share Christ on an ongoing throughout their lifetime to the, to the biological mom and to her family. So I think that's a difference, just that openness, that openness and communication. Um, now, 
now babies are coming straight to the adoptive couple from the hospital, whereas in the past it was always babies, when they were born, social workers took babies to what we used to call foster homes, and now they're interim care homes, but that was how it was done then. So that's that's some changes that, that I see some differences between the 80s and the 90s and now. What's you, Lynn? Well, um, as Renee was talking, it, it did make me think about how we prepared and equipped families um, when I came on staff and just how we have learned so much in the last 10 years even about trauma and attachment and how we have grown in being able to better prepare and equip our families for bringing children into their homes, both our domestic and international. And of course, when, when Renee and I started, we were just a domestic program. We were one office in Alabama. Uh, now I think we have four offices in the state of Alabama scattered throughout, in addition to um, any number of states. I lose count because we're adding states continually and, um, and countries as well that we are impacting. Um, even, even rippling out in our ministry of not just focusing on adoption, but even care for the orphan who may not be adopted through our unadopted program has been a, a really neat change in our perspective and understanding of the care of the orphan, which has been exciting to see. Great perspective and so true. And like Lynn said, we're even seeing things right now that are just changing as we're learning so much more about trauma. So Jana, what would you say are some of the biggest changes you've seen since the early 90s? So I'm going to kind of go the direction of, well, we have a bigger office, which is, we are so, so thankful. And those of us who started way back when, uh, where we at one point had about seven or eight people um, all in one office trying to work in that same office together. We had one young lady sitting on the floor with her laptop in her lap uh, working uh, in our office with, at our first building uh, on Pump House Road. And so the Lord has just provided and, and given and blessed with an office that we can all be together. We can We have computers and we have internet and we have you know, capacity to serve and do more. And, um, you know, I think also things that I see, and, and Lynn kind of said it, you know, we've expanded to many states. I think it's 13, you know, right now. And I would have never thought when I started way back when that we would, we have, we would have been able to do that. And um, it's been a, just an honor and a privilege to see the changes that we have uh, implemented from that domestic adoption agency in Alabama to an orphan care ministry and specifically my role in working in international adoption. Uh, it's just kind of blows my mind as I sit and think about all of the things that I've been able to be a part of at Lifeline and now being part of the international world um, and having the, the valued experience that I had uh, in domestic world. And um, I just, it's such a rich history and, um, these changes have just meant a lot, and it's been neat to be part of those changes. Absolutely. Carla? Yeah, I'll piggyback on that a little bit, too, and take it a little bit further. But just watching how the Lord has used our team 
um, and just grown this ministry just exponentially. Um, like Lynn and Jana said, even from domestic adoption to international adoption to now, you know, being considered, and I say this so humbly, but as experts in our field, um, you know, we have staff members that are being asked to, you know, testify in, in courtrooms and to come to Washington, D.C. and contribute on panels and um, a couple of years ago, being asked to go to international countries and lead conferences to train social workers and adoption um, professionals in their country. I mean, that is such a far cry from, you know, starting when I did in 2001. And I think we were up to maybe eight or nine at that point and really just doing a great job, but really just doing, you know, kind of the status quo, the home studies, the, the placing children, which I will never take for granted as far as being used there, but just to see how the Lord has said, you know, well done you guys, and you've been faithful and you've been, you've used and you've stewarded things so well, you know, and how he has blessed us with just opportunity, not just skill wise, but to further his name, because every time we're going into these countries or to Washington, D.C. or into a courtroom, it's to spread the gospel and proclaim the name of Jesus and then, you know, share our expertise. So I think that has been um, a big part. And I think, too, just watching our team grow to truly be people that are discipling each other every single day. You know, it's not a job where you come to work and you sit at your desk and you do the things you have to do, but we're constantly engaging and encouraging each other to continue to fight the fight, you know, cause that's what it feels like some days. Um, I sit next to Jana and, you know, she and I are constantly, you know, looking at each other and saying, are you okay? Yes, I'm good. Are you okay? You know, or just being in Herbie's office this morning and have him, you know, kind of checking boxes to make sure things are going well in our world. Um, so I think that's just like Jana said, it's, it's a huge honor to be a part of this ministry and to see how the Lord is using us in ways that we never imagined, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Hey, Tracy Marie, how about you for the last 17 years? Yeah, on the domestic side, it's just been incredibly exciting to watch our education initiatives grow. We have really expanded the education that we're doing with prospective families and um, existing families to include hard things like openness and adoption and grief and loss that affects both children and their parents, transracial adoption even. I, I think that we have just gone headfirst into the hard with these families. And I love that the Lord has given us a platform to do that. But we cannot leave out that we dreamed about entering into traditional foster care for years. And then the Lord in 2009 opened wide this door for our ministry to expand to foster care. And it has completely changed lifeline and and the way that we that we serve others in our community so included in that of course we for a period of time licensed foster parents and then we decided that our reach was not wide enough that perhaps the lord wanted us to do more and so we stopped licensing families and transitioned into just doing education and home studies in partnership with the department of human resources 
And then finally, what is, I guess, closest to my heart is that we do this intimate work with birth parents in the foster care system. And we are seeing a truly marginalized group of, of men and women touched and affected by the gospel. So there have been huge changes in these 17 years. So as we kind of go back, I'm going to kind of go start back around the horn real quick. <clears throat> we talk a lot about all the things have changed, right? So obviously Renee can say there's Mr. Carr and I in 1982, and now we have 155 staff members. So we can see some size things and all these things have changed. What would you say is something though over your tenure that has remained consistent? So Renee, what's something that you would say, hey, across all of these years, this has remained consistent about the ministry? I was, as hearing each one of, of my sisters share just how we have grown exponentially numbers wise and how we've grown in our ministry and how we equip, how we equip our couples, equip our our birth families. One thing that has remained the very same from the inception has just been to proclaim the gospel, the hope of the gospel with you know, way back when in 81, Mr. Carr's heart and Wells Goebel's heart was, here we are as a ministry to proclaim the hope of the gospel to these expectant women, these vulnerable women who were expectant, share the hope of the gospel with them and to ensure that their baby is raised in a Christian home. And praise Jesus quite often that, you know, that Christian home that that baby's raised in is the biological home because the mother is now a believer. We've shared Christ with her. She's a believer and how loose she can raise that child with a whole different mindset and hope of glory. Or if she chooses not to, this baby's raised with a Christian adoptive couple that Lifeline has chosen. And I feel like we have remained the same. We have not wavered on that. And that's where the Lord has just granted us favor. In that regard, I think just it has been hard. There have been times that I know, Herbie, you have had to stand up to policy changes and just the social mores of, of the world we're living in now when it's so almost stark. There's life and death. And you have said we will stand for life. And that's that's where we will stand. And I think the Lord has just honored that because we've remained constant to the you know to the mission that the Lord gave us from the start. So I feel like that has that has not wavered. But you, Lynn. Um, yeah, I think that um, that tone that was set by Mr. Carr, um, I think of him as being such a kind man and deeply, deeply compassionate. And I think that has continued to permeate um, the staff at Lifeline is a deep compassion, a deep commitment to biblical principles and excellence. And there is this level of sacrificial giving that I see among our staff um, that I think that is one unique quality that I'm very, very thankful has not changed. Um, and even as young staff come on, um, I see a commitment to that um, and a generation that often may have focused more on self. Our, our younger staff members really have a commitment to the excellence of Christ, the gospel, and compassion for others. Jana? Something that so vividly stands out in my mind 
that has remained consistent over all these years um, is our morning prayer time. This is something that Mr. Carr started, um, well, before I even came, but since 1992, we have gathered for prayer each morning as a staff. Uh, we've gone before the Lord. We've prayed for families. We've prayed for birth bombs. We've prayed for partners in countries. We've prayed for each other. Um, and just a sweet, sweet time of, of prayer um, that we take the time to do that, that we, that we know that that's where our day needs to start. And now you see 150 plus employees on Zoom calls every, every morning praying together all over the United States and other parts of the world. It's just mm -hmm. an amazing thought. It's hard to kind of wrap your mind around, around that, but knowing that each one of these, these men and women are bringing, um, things before the father. And, um, it's, it's a treasure to be able to, to be part of, of that. And that has been lifeline's heart as well. Um, since the, since the beginning. Amen. Carla. I think what stands out in my mind is we've always kept what should be the focus, our focus, and we've never, um, even when we're tempted to our, our leadership has always drawn us back to remembering who is providing for us to do this and who will continue to provide for us in whatever season. And I remember, you know, um, like Jana said, so vividly times that um, we wondered maybe where payroll was coming from, or we wondered how we were going to, you know, meet needs or, of, you know, um, obligations we had overseas. And I remember, you know, our first kind of human nature would be to panic and kind of scurry around. But, um, you know, it was always, no, we need to stop and pray. And we need to pray really specifically for that bread truck to pull up outside, you know, or in whatever, um, you know, kind of the, the, the story was. But I remember just seeing the Lord over and over and over provide for us to continue to do his work. Um, and it's so neat now to see our staff tell those stories to families as we seek to encourage them that he's provided for us and he's going to do the same for them, you know, whatever their situation or whatever, wherever they are in process or wherever it is that they're waiting for. Mm -hmm. And I think especially this year, you know, kind of surviving through a pandemic um, in the in the adoption community, just being able to so confidently say this ministry has been you know, here since 1981 and just all the stories of the Lord's provision um, and that he's He's not going to stop providing for us and providing for his will to be done. And I love seeing our team telling families that. And then even I love seeing families telling us that when we need to be encouraged, that they've received that discipleship from us and are able to give it back to us as well. Amen. Tracy Marie. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with Jana that probably what has stood out most to me over the years is that emphasis on prayer. And Herbie, you may not even remember saying this, but it was so impactful personally in 2003, 2004, where you just said to our staff, just um, really in a sense of just admonition, Ladies, gentlemen, we maybe had two gentlemen on staff at that time, do not come into the office 
without praying first. Start every day with prayer. And that has just been cemented in my mind since then. Just make that the priority of your morning. But also we've had this tremendous focus on the word of God. And we have just been directed over and over year after year to go back to scripture. Our practices really are taken from scripture. I mean, we don't say this um, flippantly. These, mm. these are truly biblical perspectives that we have tried to adopt in the way that we practice here at Lifeline. But I also want to give you just a little um, insight to kind of the inner workings here, which is there has always been such an emphasis on family. And I'm looking at the the faces around me and you have to nod in agreement. Our families have been made so important and the priority. And I can tell you, uh, I, I cannot recount now the number of times that I've gone to Herbie and I have said, you know, during this season of life, Herbie, I, I need to cut down on my hours or perhaps I need to increase my hours. There has always been this tremendous flexibility seasonally, year after year, with wherever, whatever we're facing with our families, there has just been this top-down support. Um, and I think that equips us to love families well and to, to recognize the importance um, of family. Amen. Okay, Lynn, so <clears throat> I'd, I'd love to start with you and certainly Renee, if you want to want to add anything else you know mr carr is someone we talk about a lot and i actually never had the privilege of getting to meet mr carr he had already passed away when i started but the lord birthed this vision in his heart in 1981 and we talk about wells goble and mr goble certainly played a big part in that but but mr carr was used as a huge catalyst uh to see this ministry even start in the first place um, can you tell us a little bit about Mr. Carr, what made him tick, and just some of the things that you saw in him that made Lifeline a special place? Well, I, I just think, um, one, I think he was an incredible visionary that, um, that he had the vision for the ministry. He saw the need. Um, he was such a godly man. He listened and he heard God's voice say to start uh, this ministry to fill the gap, the need for women who are in crisis pregnancy, who, who felt they could not parent and needed to make a choice of adoption. Um, and he had that heart and desire that Renee mentioned earlier um, that we have Christian families available for those women to choose from, to place their children with, that we can assure these mothers in crisis pregnancies that their children will be raised in a Christian home within the church. So that vision is amazing to me. The other thing that stands out to me about Mr. Carr is that um, he began Lifeline Children's Services after he had retired from 30 years of service to the state of Alabama in child welfare. Um, and so he, he worked very long and hard days, even in the midst of retirement, um, as he started uh, the, the ministry. But he, he was probably the calmest 
individual, the most compassionate individual. He had such a soothing voice and um, always just was very intentional and interested in, in each of our own individual lives and what was going on with each of us individually. Um, and that came through as you, as you crossed the threshold into the office. Kirby, I'm gonna I'm jump in. I think two things about Mr. Carr that um, really stand out to me is that I'll never forget the day there was a birth mother that called and she was somewhere and she needed to get to the office for an appointment. And she, for our appointment with her social worker, and she didn't have gas. And Mr. Carr jumped in his car and went and got that sweet birth mom, got her, got filled up her car with gas so she could make it to her appointment. He was just that in tune to little needs and big needs and just willing to give and give and give. And, you know, Miss Carr, his sweet wife, was such a supporter of Lifeline. And they began Lifeline on their savings. Um, and began the ministry in that way. And so we, I love Mr. Carr. He was like a grandfather and Miss Carr though was always there with him too. And so those are some really neat things that just stand out to me. Renee, you probably knew him the longest. So what would you add? Yeah, I was just going to, I can't go without saying I'd love to go places with Mr. Carr, at least early on, not, not later on when <laughs> As, as we all age, driving becomes a little bit harder and more of a safety issue. So in those later years, I didn't, didn't jump at the chance to be with him. But those, those early years, especially going places with Mr. Carr, anytime we would say we were going to an event that included meeting some big, prominent, influential person, Mr. Carr probably spent more time talking to the waitress or just that the way he valued people, I think just giving each person a respect, genuine respect too, not just a lip service, but just his respect for the people that God created in general, just spoke volumes to me, just how to treat people in general. You know, he just, he, he treated the, the waitress or the person that came in empty the trash can beside him with the same respect and, honor and listen to them just as he would the CEO of the company. So just, just the way he valued people mm. was huge. And that's, that translated in his ministry to other folks. I think when he was talking to you, you felt like he genuinely had your ear. He heard you, he felt your need and he was empathetic. So. Awesome. Well, Jana, you know, when you were hired, obviously Mr. Carr was still the director, but, but Chuck was the assistant director and would later, and you're and really all three of you ladies tenure become the director of Lifeline and the ministries had three directors, Mr. Carr, Chuck Johnson, and, and then now me. But what would you tell us about Chuck and just what set him apart um, and what some of the things the Lord accomplished in his tenure? Yeah. So Chuck and I had um, a, a, a special connection as I didn't even really know who Lifeline was. Um, until I was in, I was, I was at Auburn in my social work classes and I had to attend a, a meeting at a crisis pregnancy center and Chuck came and spoke. And at that time, um, I didn't really know much about Lifeline, but it kind of put it in the back of my mind. I'd like to do my internship there. And then, um, 
Chuck ended up calling the ministry that I was part of at, at, at Auburn and I was connected to Lifeline in that way. And um, I've just seen Chuck really um, be able to, to keep Lifeline going, you know, through the, through the hard times and through the, the difficult times. And I think the biggest change that I saw as Chuck being director, we started our China program. And right shortly after that, we started adoption from Ukraine. And so having that vision um, at that time, being able to to do that, even though I remember him saying, I'm not sure what Mr. Carr would think about this, but I think Mr. Carr now would be so happy and he would love everything that we're doing here at Lifeline. Mm-hmm. And Chuck was just a part of that. He got to sit under Mr. Carr and be taught by Mr. Carr on how to lead. Um, and Chuck was faithful. I think I think that's a really good word to describe him is that he was faithful to continue what Mr. Carr had started. Uh, we were family. We still are. You know, we're family. We were brothers and sisters and, you know, fought sometimes like brothers and sisters and disagreed. But we would, you know, we would always help one another and jump in uh, when someone else needed something. And so. I think that that Chuck just was very faithful in his time here at Lifeline to continue um, what Lifeline was and and to grow it into that just that little part of international that now is a big part of 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 who Lifeline is. Yeah, and one of the qualities I love about Chuck is his steadiness, and I think the Lord really definitely used him really to continue the vision and to be a good caretaker of the vision. Um, you know, I, I, I honor him in so many different ways for how he was just able to, to bring stability when Mr. Carr had to retire and to, to leave the ministry that he had started. Chuck was just a great person to come in and take care of and steward uh, that well. Mm-hmm. Well, ladies, as, as we kind of think over, and Lord willing, this ministry will go on for another 40 years, uh, if not longer. Uh, as the Lord sustains it. As we look forward, you know, let's just say in 40 more years, somebody and, you know, probably the six of us won't be around to hear about it, but they'll be doing a, who even knows if they will be podcast then they'll do something uh, in the future. And, uh, and they'll be talking about lifeline. What are some of the things that you hope that those future staff, those future partners, uh, those, those future families will know about, these days of the ministry that, that, that they'll hold in their heart to say, hey, that was a time where we saw the Lord honored. So Renee, speaking to people 40 years in the future, what are things you hope they know about the ministry today or where the ministry's been in the last 40 years? Ooh, um, I just really hope that they find, I think that's a good word that you said, Jana, faithful, that they just find that we were faithful to the, to the Lord's calling, that we were steadfast. And I think I speak for all of you that, that we all realize the Lord's given this vision, but it's not just to us. It takes our partners. It takes the body of Christ. And I think we're the first ones to say that we need each other as a staff, but we also, we need, we need the church. You know, one of our things, we know we don't stand lifeline doesn't stand by lifeline, the ministry we stand right there with the church. We need the body of Christ. We need the local church body. We need our partners. Let's just be honest. Financially, we we need folks that love the Lord that have money 
to be able to partner with us. We, we need that. We need those folks that have great skills and great talents that the Lord's gifted in that regard, not just their treasure, but their talents. We need that. So I think just that we were able to be a catalyst for folks who the Lord has just prompted on their heart to serve and proclaim the gospel to others to I want to use, you know, come alongside Lifeline to partner with Lifeline to do that. So, Lynn, what are some of those things you'd want people in 40 years or 20 years and 40 years to know about this time and and, and the history? Um, I think that um, even today, as as certain issues and things bubble in our society, um, that faithfulness that, that Renee referred to is so important. And um, I hope that we will um, continue to be able to be culturally relevant while we're staying committed to the standards of Christ and that we are able to continue to offer the hope of Christ in the midst of the cultural changes that take place now and in the future. Um, And that 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 will be um, continue to be the guiding principle of lifeline that will be distinctive in how we serve um, in caring for others. Jana? When I, when you talk about that, I think of the word legacy and I, I, I think about that in the terms of who we've just talked about, you know, we've talked about Mr. Carr We've talked about Chuck and Herbie now, and what a rich legacy that Lifeline has, even for Mr. Carr, even through Herbie. And, I, and I'm, I'm hoping that people will, will see that rich legacy of men who have uh, been on their faces before the Lord, um, pleading for our ministry, pleading for guidance, for wisdom, for um, things to help us keep going financially, for, for new partners, for um, and, and all with the, with the hope of the gospel. And I, and I hope with our stories that we can share and things that we tell families that our legacy uh, will still be something that people know uh, and go back to um, in years to come. Carla? I think, um, you know, we talk about Mr. Carr, you know, laying the foundation and Chuck being steady. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't also talk about Herbie was the one that put his foot on the gas and taught us not to fear. And I hope that when people look back, which, by the way, I'm still planning to be here in 40 years. So um, I think people will have to wheel me out of here. But um, I feel like I still want to be remembered as the ministry that wasn't afraid. Um, that found um, our fearlessness in the Lord and that we, we took the risks for the vulnerable, um, for those children that weren't going to have homes and for those birth mothers that didn't have anyone else. And um, I think Herbie's legacy here, and, and you're not going anywhere, but I think your legacy is that you taught us that. You taught us that it was okay to step out of the comfort zone. It was okay to step out of the box. And that's one thing I hope that we that we never forget and that we're always a ministry that will take on those challenges. Amen. Amen. Tracy Marie. Yeah, I think this crew can say we were a group who saw the Lord move. We just powerfully move. 
Y'all, there have been things that have happened over the years that we, they're inexplicable, if not for a great movement of the Lord and His Holy Spirit. We just, we cannot take credit for the things that we've seen. And to be in that position, to sit back and and just marvel at the presence of the Lord and His mighty works, that's an incredible place to be. So I love the idea of our being the generation who saw the Lord move. And of course, we want that continued movement for future generations, and He will. He promises that He's always at work. Well, certainly we pray that the Lord will have been honored through every year of ministry that we've had at Lifeline. And has been so aptly said, we are a place that believes in prayer, studying God's word and seeking after him wholeheartedly. You know, as we close, I think we would be remiss to say we also are a place that doesn't take ourselves too seriously. Right. And uh, I think in some of that, that's good because it creates a lot of uh, stress relief when you don't take yourself too seriously. It also gives the Lord a, a huge place to work. And uh, so I thought that I would end with a funny story that actually encompasses all of us. Uh, there was the family that Lynn was working with. There's the foster family that Renee was working with. There was the child that Tracy and I were trying to help. And then there was the sage advice of the moms in the room at the time that saw what we were doing of Carla and Jana when there was a, a precious little two-year-old that was having her birthday and we forgot to get her a gift. Tracy and I, we scoured the closet. We found a, a stuffed frog. And the only problem with the stuffed frog was that it had a small little stain on it. And so we decided it'd be a good idea to use carpet cleaner on the stuffed frog to clean it up, to make it look brand new. And Carla and Jana saved the child's life by letting us know that we could not give this frog to a two-year-old um, and poison the child with, uh, with, with carpet cleaner. And so what Lynn didn't know is we almost gave her family's child a a, a stuffed animal that it had carpet cleaner and uh, Renee had her hands full. We won't say too much with the foster family. So I'm not sure she had any idea really what was going on, but what a, what a great memory that and so many other memories that we've had together, not taking ourselves too seriously uh, and coming before the Lord with both humor, seriousness, uh, but also great need before him. So ladies, thank you for this trip down memory lane. We, we're grateful for each and every one of you. And like Carla said, not a single one of us are going anywhere, right, Renee? We're all, we're all in this for the long haul. And so uh, grateful for each and every one of you and grateful for all of you who've listened to this podcast. And hopefully you'll be able to continue to listen to the Defender Podcasts throughout the year. We take moments to look back at what the Lord has done over the last 40 years of ministry. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? 
please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. <laughs>